If you would, uh, turn with me to a couple different passages this morning. Uh, our main text is going to be 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we're going to start with uh, Exodus 34. So if you want to turn there, and we're going to see or read Exodus 34, 27 through 35. And then we're going to flip uh, to 2 Corinthians 3.18. And again, this morning's focus will be on 2 Corinthians 3.18, but I wanted us to read the Exodus passage uh, because Exodus 34, 27-35, 2 Corinthians 3 is Paul's divinely given commentary on Exodus 34. So if you want to understand Exodus 34 in light of the new covenant and what Christ has accomplished on the cross read 2 Corinthians 3. It's like Paul's verse by verse going through and explaining it. Uh, so Exodus chapter 34, starting in verse 27. And God's word says, The Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel, the covenant that we refer to as the Old Covenant. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. So it appears to be a supernatural fasting. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now notice verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. When he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> and we're going to focus on verse 18. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. And just let me pause there for a second. Moses and Moses alone had that privilege of going up on Mount Sinai and then communing face-to-face -face with God. Remember, and it says he would take the veil off and, and commune with him. What does 2 Corinthians 3.18 say now? What has God done through the new covenant? We all. That's amazing. We all, with unveiled face, beholding what? The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen. <clears throat> Amen. What is the best way 
the most effective way to grow in Christ-likeness? How can we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? And how can we accelerate that growth? Because I want that, and I think you want that. How, how can we grow the most into the image of Jesus Christ? And looking at our text in, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, what we see is, is if you want to be more like Jesus... If you want to grow in Christ-likeness, that it will only come to the degree that you do what? That you behold his glory. I hope you're hearing that. If you want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ and grow in Christ-likeness and know his glory, it only comes to the degree which you take the time to behold his glory. We become what we behold Have you heard that before? You become what you behold. Apart from beholding, there is no becoming. And so again, the more we behold the glory of the Lord, the more we focus on that, the more we are changed into the very image of Jesus himself. That's what 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 is saying to us this morning. We always tend to become or, or, or become like or take on the characteristics of, of those we admire. In fact, sometimes you even hear those stories of people who've been married together for years, how over time they even begin to look like each other. Uh, that's that's kind of what our text is saying. We become what we behold. And if we spend time with Jesus, beholding his glory, we begin to take on his characteristics. We begin to become like him whom we admire. Fixing your eyes on Jesus is how you are transformed. It's how you change. So what this means is your primary need right now is not financial Your primary need right now is not physical. And your biggest problem right now is not what's going on in Capitol Hill. Your greatest spiritual need, my primary need, your primary need, is that we need to be a people who radiate the beauty of Christ. And we radiate his beauty. How? By first beholding his beauty by first beholding his glory. The greatest need of every individual is to know who God is, to to behold him, to have uh, what some have called a God-entranced vision of all things. Uh, That's the title of a book in reference to Jonathan Edwards, if you're familiar with him. Uh, But that's, that's my heartbeat as a pastor. I hope it's your heartbeat as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, is I want to have a god entranced vision of everything, his glory in everything. My great responsibility and my joy as a pastor is is each, each Sunday morning, and hopefully day by day, but especially on Sunday mornings, to kind of hold up before your gaze the beauty and the glory and the wonder of God. So that's why starting this week, we're beginning this new series called Beholding we're going to spend, spend some time here for a little while. We're going to be beholding God's attributes, thinking about him as he's revealed himself in the scriptures. And I, I haven't forgotten about Luke. 
Uh, we're coming back to Luke eventually. Luke's not going anywhere. It's still part of the canon. We can trust it. It's, it's not going to leave. Uh, but we're going to focus some time on beholding. And I, I've, I've been planning this for a while. I think I just, I, I love God's providence, his timing with things. And all this going on in our nation, in our world, I, I believe what we need now more than anything else is this all-consuming vision of the glory of God. Um, that's what's going to strengthen us and, and keep us pressing on. Uh, this, this beholding, as I was thinking about it too this week and, and actually over the months, is, is crucial to our mission as a church. We've been trying to put our mission everywhere, but remember our mission is those four Bs, right? Believe, belong, become, build. And those are very intentional the way how they actually build on each other. First you believe, and you believe in Christ, you belong to his people. And in belonging to his people, the goal is to become more like Jesus Christ. And as we become more like Jesus Christ, we want to build. We want to see his kingdom and his glory exponentially increase. Well, as I thought about it, that mission statement is missing a B. It's missing beholding. And beholding is really the energy, the fuel behind all of it. And quite frankly, if we're not beholding in our believing and in our becoming and belonging and building, then we're wasting our time. We're spinning our wheels, like maybe you've been doing lately with the ice and the snow. Beholding is critical. So by believe, we mean when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we must behold God's glory. That's how it happens, right? The scriptures reveal God's glory, and as we read the scriptures, we recognize how far we fall short of that glory, and how Jesus is the exact imprint and radiant glory of God, and we place our faith in him, and he gives us his glory. That's the, how behold underlies believe. But what about belonging? When we, when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we commit ourselves to a local body of believers to whom we belong. We do this in part because we bring more glory to God together than we can ever do individually. And so together, we behold God's glory more. Also, beholding God's glory compels us to want to worship together, yes? As you, as you behold his glory, uh, we long to be with his people and hear and sing and fellowship around his glory. But we don't stop there. We want to become more godly. You've heard the saying before, seeing is believing. How about we also say, seeing is becoming. Seeing is becoming. And as we gather in fellowship, we see his glory, and we become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, we don't stop there. We long for everyone to see and to know the glory of God. We want everyone to behold it. And so as we behold his glory, we go forth in his name, uh, proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that if you will turn from your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he will save you, and you will know the glory of his love and the glory of his forgiveness and his truth. <clears throat> So I hope you see from that that beholding is, a, is the crucial B <laughs> out of those four other Bs, believe, belong, become, build, our discipleship pathway. That without beholding, that pathway sort of starts to fall apart. We lose energy, we lose purpose. Beholding is the foundation upon which we build those four Bs. I want to say to you this morning in the next few weeks that knowing God and beholding his glory uh, can revolutionize your life. That knowing and beholding the attributes of God can strengthen us to bear up under difficult circumstances. 
And that knowing and beholding the attributes of God strengthens you to persevere. It, it helps you get your eyes off the problem. And where? On the problem solver. That's our problem anymore lately. Yes, we're focused on the problem. We're not putting our focus on God and his glory, who's the problem solver. Radical all-out beholding of God's glory is priority number one. And so my desire, my prayer for a couple months now has been that these truths that we're going to look at over the next few weeks and this morning will significantly shape us and change us into what God desires us to become. Actually, I pray that we'll never be the same again as we behold his glory. Because if we are beholding his glory, uh, he will change us from the inside out. So our text says, we all, with unveiled face, beholding what? The glory of the Lord. So the object of our beholding, if you're, if you're following the notes in the, in the bulletin, the object that we are beholding is the glory of the Lord. There is nothing more important in our lives than knowing God and beholding the glory of his great and awesome name. When you come to the end of your life, the most important thing is this. All that will matter is this. If you can say to this crucial, is what you can say to this crucial question, did I live for the glory of God? That's the most crucial issue. How will you be able to answer that affirmatively at the end of your life? Did I live my life for the glory of God? If we fail to live life for the glory of God, we are wasting our lives. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of the biggest business in the world or the most popular person that we've ever known or if you rule over the greatest nation the world has ever seen. Only a life lived for the glory of God is a life worth living. Only that life. It doesn't, doesn't matter about all those other things. All they're living is wasted living. The glory of God should be the blazing sun around which your life, your heart, your soul, your dreams revolve. Moses was such a man. We've just read about him in Exodus. He lived roughly 3,000 years ago. Uh, he led the nation of Israel out of captivity to, to Egypt. He authored the first five books of the Bible, what we often call the Pentateuch. He's a timeless example of a man who pursued God. Uh, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, he cries out in prayer to God, show me your, what? Glory. Remember that? He cries it out to God, show me your glory. And really that's an astounding thing for him to pray because it seems like out of anyone who's lived, up to his point at least, that no one had ever seen more of his glory than him. He sees his glory, that, the that theophany, at the, at the burning bush, right? That had to be pretty spectacular to see. A bush that's burning but isn't being destroyed. He sees God's glory there. He, he sees God's glory as a personal eyewitness to the, the plagues in Egypt and where God brings the most powerful man in the world down to his knees. He saw God's glory when God split the Red Sea and, and Israel walked across on, on dry ground, right? That's glory. 
He'd seen the fire fall on Mount Sinai. Moses has had a front row seat to, to the glory of God for quite some time now, the spectacular works of God, but it's not enough. He wants more. His driving ambition is the glory of God. And so he cries out in Exodus 33, God, show me your glory. He wants more of it. And we need to understand that word glory. Uh, it, it means heavy or weighty. And so when Moses is praying that, show me your glory, he's praying, Lord, I don't, I don't want your, your glory to just kind of rest on me like a feather. I want to feel its weight. I want to feel its significance. I want to understand its meaning for my life. He doesn't want this hollowed out Christian existence. He wants God to be weighty, impressive, unmistakable, deeply impressed upon his life and his thinking, and his living. He wants to know God and his attributes like holiness and his supremacy and his truth and his grace and his mercy and love. And again, this is what is missing so much often in my life and in our lives as Christians and in the church at generals. We kind of have this superficial sense of God, this hollowed out Christian life. And what we need is a new understanding and the reality of the godness of God. Amen? Moses would have none of it, this, this weak, superficial, a small, light understanding of the glory of God. He's seen so much of it, he wants more of it, so he passionately prays out for it, and so should we. And there are so many ways that we can see God's glory today, that we can see his glory in creation. Psalm 19.1, you know that verse, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. The skies proclaim his glory handiwork. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 says the whole earth is full of his glory. If you were to look at the sun, I don't advise you doing this, please don't do this, but if you were to look at the sun uh, full on for 10 seconds, maybe a little bit longer, it would burn your retinas, right? It would burn your eyes out. And yet God Almighty has created 10 billion suns and they're nothing to him. They don't even begin to hold a candle to his glory. God is glorious. Creation is continuously declaring to us that God is glorious. Romans 1 verse 20 says about God, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So that, that verse is saying that ever since God created all that he created, it's, it's as obvious as a nose on your face that God is glorious and God is powerful and he's mighty and he's wise. And that verse, Romans 1.20, ends by saying, in the things that he has made. That's a fascinating word. It's actually the Greek word poeia. Sounds a lot like what word? Poem. And Romans 1.20 is saying that God's creation is God's masterful poem, his, his masterful work of art uh, to display his glory uh, to us, to all of the earth's inhabitants. But as glorious as creation is, as incredible as creation is, it pales in comparison to the glory of the risen Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is glorious. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. Now, we talked about Moses' prayer when he said, show me your glory. Remember how God responds to that? He says, Moses, I'll show you my glory, but only a little bit of it. Because if I show you all my glory and all of its unmitigated glory, you will be pulverized. It would be like tissue paper on the face of the sun. That's the idea that's there. But now in Christ. Do you get the wonder of this? Moses is able to see just, just a tiny bit of it and it makes his face shine. But now in Christ, what do we just read? That we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father. Remember in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah again sees part of God's glory and, and he falls down. He cries out, woe is me for I am undone. Or, or think of the Apostle John in Revelation 1 where he sees the glory of Christ and he falls down and says like a dead man. But now in the Lord Jesus Christ we are all able by faith to behold the glory of God. To behold the glory of the Father. It's no longer just for Moses. Again, our text says, we all with unveiled face, all believers have this privilege of gazing upon the glory of the risen Son. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is God. He is God revealed. He is glorious in his mercy. He takes pity and shows kindness to us who are weak and helpless. Jesus is glorious in the fact that he's accessible. He invites all the humble to come to him at any time and to find their rest in him. He is glorious in his patience. Have you praised him for his glorious and infinite patience this morning? Because without it, not one of us would be here this morning. He's glorious in his patience. He does not instantly give us what we deserve. He is glorious in his forgiveness. He died for our sins. He bore God's wrath for our sins. He took the punishment that you and I deserved, and then he pardoned you fully and freely and forever. He's glorious in his love. He's glorious in his wisdom. He's glorious in his truth and his justice, and, and on and on we could go with that. Jesus has no imperfections. He's full of understanding. He's the pearl of great price. He's the lion of Judah. He's the lamb who was slain. He's the all-conquering savior from sin and Satan and hell. As we sing often, he is mighty to save. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. He's light without darkness. He's light so glorious. We read in Revelation, it will light up the universe. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. He's our spiritual wealth and treasure. He's our food, our life, our dwelling place, our all, our everything. If I had 10,000 tongues and I stood up here for 10,000 years, I would fall far short of trying to explain his glory and to hold it up before you. The angels have been doing it since the foundation of the world and they keep on doing it and they'll never stop doing it. Why? Because his glory is without end. It's eternal. It knows no uh, end. It cannot be plumbed. His glory is second to none. He's without competition. And not only is Jesus glorious, but he does all things for his glory. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To God alone be the glory forever. And so here at Orangeville Baptist Church, 
If this is resonating in your heart and your soul here at Orangeville Baptist Church, we must make sure that our every decision, our every word, our every thought, every program that we run, everything that we say and do and think as as a church body, every lesson that we have, every song that we sing, every sermon that's preached, it should have one goal, to behold the glory of God. That's our mission. That's our focus. Uh, our, Our budget, our programs, our meetings, our outreach, it must be to the praise of His glory. What must be our main attraction is the glory of Christ. And we should be tireless, tireless in our assistance that church is for Jesus, about Jesus, it's through Jesus, and it's to the glory of Jesus. Amen? And the same should be said about our personal lives. Listen how, to how one person I read wrote it. <clears throat> he says this, Either we live for the glory of God, or we do not live it at all. We only exist. If we are to truly live as God intends, our hearts must be, first and foremost, directed toward the pursuit of God's glory. God's glory, he continues, must be primary and all else a far distant second. To fail to live for the glory of God is to endure an empty existence. God must be the epicenter of our lives. We exist for his glory. God created us for this high purpose. Again, he continues, this must be our chief end. Otherwise, we have squandered our lives. Living for the glory of God is the beginning and end of all things. The divine glory is the blazing sun around which our lives must revolve. When we come to our end of our lives, and I quoted this earlier, all that will matter is an affirmative answer to this crucial question, did we live for the glory of God? If we fail to live for God, we have wasted our lives on this earth. But if we seek God's glory, our lives will have been well spent and lived to the fullest. Only in the pursuit of the glory of God will our lives count for time and eternity. That and so much more is what's being said when it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we all, with unfailed face, behold the glory of the Lord. So what's the object of our beholding? The glory of the Lord. What's the result? What does our text say? What's the result of beholding? It says, We are being transformed. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the greatest thing in all the world is as you behold the glory of the risen Lord. But the Spirit is at work through that beholding to little by little, from one degree of glory to another, to make you more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, you become what you behold. There is no human being on the planet who doesn't want to change. Right? Or I could say it a different way. There is no human being on the planet who doesn't need to be changed. And as Christians, we find that our longing for change is greatly intensified. Uh, This great yearning and desire to be like Jesus Christ. We want our whole lives to reflect him. We we want this transformation. And that word transformation, again, it's a a fascinating word. It's only found a few places in the scriptures. 
And one of the key places it's found a couple times in the Gospels is, guess where, is transfiguration. You can actually translate this text, we are being transfigured into the same image. You remember the transfiguration, right? When, when Christ, for a moment, unveils his glory. And a few of the disciples gaze upon that. And they're awed and amazed by that. And it says in that text that his face shone like the sun. That's pretty bright. <laughs> that transfiguration. And not just his face, but his whole body shone like that. It's not just this outward transformation, it's an inward transformation. Because even Jesus' clothes become white. It's his whole essence is transfigured before them. In fact, that's what we want is this inward transformation. If, if our transformation is outward only, we have a word for that. It's called hypocrisy, right? If all you're doing is changing the outside, maybe dress up a little bit nicer, uh, don't use so many of those, those words and, and those kind of things, but inwardly you're still the same person. Our word for that is hypocrisy. Look, you can, what's that saying? You can take a pig and put lipstick on it and dress it up nice but it's still a what? Still a pig. I'm not calling you guys pigs. <laughs> Maybe I am, I don't know. <laughs> but what we're looking for is inward transformation. This deep change of our being or our essence. We don't wanna just show up at church and put on a smile and make everyone think that we're spiritual. That's why the scriptures always warn about wolves in sheep's clothing and refers to Satan as the angel of light outwardly impressive, inwardly wicked. But when we behold the glory of Jesus, it changes us inwardly, and this change is gradual. I know we want it to be faster, but it's gradual because it says into the image, the same image, from one degree of glory to another. There's not much of a difference between 15 degrees and 16 degrees. It's nearly imperceptible, right? But it's changed. So you cannot learn all the glory of Jesus' patience in a day or a month or a year, but it does happen. It happens by the Spirit. The Spirit makes sure about that. Again, our verse ends by saying, this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You can't change yourself, and I can't change myself. Uh, we cannot produce this kind of change any more than a leopard can change his spots, or a piece of marble can carve itself out. God does it through his Holy Spirit. <clears throat> And the Holy Spirit is right now, if you're believing in him and listening to his word, his spirit right now is irresistibly molding you and shaping you into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we talked about last week, sin has ruined the image of God in you. It marred that image. But for believers, the spirit is effectively and patiently and powerfully at work to restore you until one day you will be like Jesus. You will gaze upon his glory, and you will be as he is. Remember that text, 1 John 3, 1 through 2? See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, please, please hear this. Beloved, we are God's children now. So what are you right now? You're beloved, and you're his child now. And what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Now notice what it says, because we shall see him 
as he is. What did I say earlier? Seeing is becoming. You become what you behold. And right now we behold him in a number of ways, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but that day is coming when Christ will return and we will see him as he is and we will become like him. That's the promise. That's what the Spirit is doing right now if you're trusting in him is little by little, moment by moment, in all these events and life circumstances and situations, the Spirit of God is at work to change you and mold you and shape you to become more like him who you admire, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will keep that work up until he has glorified you completely. I am saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. The three tenses of salvation. So if these things are true, if the object of our beholding is the glory of God and the result of our beholding is become more like Jesus Christ and the Spirit does this through us, then what about the practice of beholding? I just want to spend a few minutes to get practical about how we can and should and must be beholding the glory of the Lord. Because if you, again, that question, how can I become like Christ? What's the most effective way to do this? And it's beholding. So how do we behold? And obviously the very first answer to that is you must receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's where it begins, right? That's where it begins. If you want to be more like Christ, first you need to recognize you're not anything like him, that you're a sinner and you fall far short of his, short of his glory. Uh, like, like it says in our text, if you look at 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 3 and 4, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And that, that's an awful word, that there are people around us who are perishing. How, how are they perishing? Verse 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we see there that apart from faith in Christ, we're blind to his glory. Jesus reigns and he's supreme and he's awesome and he's majestic. And like I said, 10,000 words for, or 10,000 tongues for 10,000 years won't even begin to explain his glory. But sin blinds us to it. Sin has blinded us to his glory. What's, what's our hope? It goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now catch verse 6, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. What does sin do? It blinds us. It puts us in the dark. But what does God do? He makes light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God can give you sight. God can give you the eyes to see his glory. God can, can do that, and he will do that. If you cry out to God your sin and your rebellion, and your defiance of his will and his ways, if, if you know deep in your soul how sin has ruined the image of God within you, you feel that, then cry out to God, show me your glory. I recognize I fall short of your glory. I see the horror of my sin. I, I'm beginning to see the sun rays and sunlight of, your, of your, the wonder of your glory and, and your love and your forgiveness. You can't save yourself. But God in his sovereign grace can and will if you will believe upon him. So first you must receive him as your Lord and Savior. And tying into that, if you're here this morning and you have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this doesn't change. 
you still need to every day see him as your Lord and Savior. We kind of have this idea sometimes that the gospel is how I got saved. But I, I don't really need that gospel day in and day out. And we've, we've kind of hooked into that lie a little bit. Look, you need the gospel every day. You need to be holding its glory every day. Uh, and I brought up here with me uh, something I think would encourage every one of us. And I, I would love for every one of us in this church to have a copy of this book. It's just a tiny little booklet. It's called, I don't know, some people pronounce it a gospel primer. I guess if you're in England, maybe you pronounce primer, 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 primer. I say either one, a gospel primer or a gospel primer. But what this is, <laughs> might not sound very exciting about primer. How exciting is that? This is, this is a wonderful little book. If you don't like to read, that's okay. He has 31 daily readings that are like a paragraph long. Seriously, it would take you 30 seconds. But it's 31 meditations on the gospel. Uh, and he opens with this quote, the gospel isn't one class among many you'll attend during your life as a Christian. The gospel is the whole building that all the classes take place in. Rightly approached, all the topics you'll study and focus on as a believer will be offered to you within the walls of this glorious gospel. Look, as, as a Christian, you never move past the gospel. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the gospel and his glory. We need to think on it, meditate on it daily. So I have three copies of this, and if you want it, come, come grab it. It's, it's down here on, on, the, on the front row. I know front row and Baptist, they don't go well together. It's like oil and water. But that's, that's where they are. If you're serious, that's why they're there. If you're serious about uh, just wanting to behold his glory, I encourage you to grab this. I, I've read through it a few times, and every time the Lord uh, just deeply encourages me. But if you want to behold the glory of Jesus, we should behold his gospel, right? If the gospel is what opened your eyes to his glory, then what's going to keep opening your eyes more and more to his glory? The gospel, we should meditate on it much and, and think on it much, and, and that leads to the second way of beholding. We behold his glory in the scriptures. The scriptures testify over and over and over and over to the glory of God and the glory of his Son and the glory of the Spirit. I don't know of any habit more life-changing than daily being in God's word. We can't afford to neglect this. And when you read God's word, don't, don't just kind of read a chapter and, and then close your Bible. And don't just read it because sometimes we have the daily reading plan. You check the box off, right? Check, I did that. Don't just read it to, to check that box off. Read God's word with the determination to see the glory of God in it. Read God's word with the determination to see the glory of Christ in it, to admire him uh, to behold him, to become like him. So for example, if you struggle with patience, you're a very impatient person, and you want to grow in patience, how does that happen? Go to the scriptures and read the many ways. Behold God's patience with us. Behold how Jesus is patient. And you start to become more like him. Uh, and that applies in, in, in so many ways, countless ways. If you struggle with forgiveness, forgiving others, go to the scriptures and meditate and behold on God's glorious forgiveness. And then become forgiving yourself. This is how it works, right? You become what you behold. Behold these things in the scriptures and you will grow in these areas. Thirdly, 
if the practice of beholding is prayer, come into his presence frequently in prayer, and this one can be convicting. This one can be hard to swallow. I've often thought to myself, if, if for whatever reason, if I ever wanted to preach a message that's made people feel really bad, just preach on prayer. Because we all know how far we fall short on prayer. It's this amazing gift and this, this amazing thing that we can come into his presence at any time and, and see his glory and get this big view of God, and yet we don't practice it much or well. Uh, Donald Whitney, Professor Donald Whitney, put it this way, when our awareness of the greatness of God and the gospel is dim, our prayer lives will be small. So if we are not beholding the beauty of Christ, it will show in being prayerless. If you really believe God is great and glorious and majestic and wonderful, it should compel us to do what? To pray much, to pray often, to get a full view of that glory. Like Moses, we need to go to the scriptures and, and go to God, crying out, show me your glory, help me to treasure Jesus, to worship and obey Jesus. And that leads to the fourth way that we behold his glory. We behold his glory by resolving that no matter the life situation I'm in, no matter what's going on in my life, I'm going to resolve to behold him, to focus on him through this. And again, this one's hard. We sing that song, I'm prone to wander, right? It's so easy to get caught up in life and all the things that are happening and to get discouraged and to start to wander and wonder what's going on, and we start to struggle. We take our hearts and our minds off God and his glory. It's, it's like Peter, who wants to walk like Jesus on the cross. He's seeing that Jesus is walking. He's beholding that. He wants to become that. And so he does, in faith, step out. But then he seems to begin to notice the waves and maybe how deep the water is and exactly what's happening, and he starts to what? Sink. He takes his eyes off Christ, and he sinks. It's the same with us. Where it's so easy to happen. We must resolutely fix our eyes on Christ. So when anxiety takes your breath away, or loneliness discourages you, or maybe you're struggling financially, wondering how you're going to get out of this financial hole, or maybe your marriage is struggling, or your children are rebelling, what do you need to do all of it, through all of it? Focus on Christ. Behold His glory. Don't focus on the problems. That's just going to discourage you all the more. Focus on the problem solver. He'll give you the strength, the wisdom, all that you need to glorify him through that, to become more like him through that. Every trial in your life, every hardship in your life, it's not by accident, it's by design. It's by a God who would form and shape Christ in you. Behold him, look to him, and perhaps Perhaps this morning you're discouraged because as we've worked through that, the Spirit is working in your heart and, and you're saying to yourself, you know what, I, I'm not growing very much. If I was to kind of compare myself spiritually where I was last year to right now, I've, I've not made any movement forward. In fact, maybe I've even gone a little bit backwards. Maybe that's you this morning and you're, you're discouraged about that. I would ask you to just pause for a moment and ask yourself, why am I not changing? Why am I not becoming more like Jesus? And the answer is found in what are you beholding? Again, the Spirit is not working this transformation in us without reference to Jesus. That's how, that's how the Spirit is doing this. He's working this transformation in you as you behold his Son 
Jesus Christ. So if you feel stuck, if you feel like you're not moving forward spiritually, and maybe even if you feel like you're moving backwards spiritually, what are you beholding? How are you spending your days beholding? If you're watching endless hours of, of TV, or if you're just kind of, I don't have my phone on me, but mindlessly doing this, scrolling for hours, and sometimes we do do it for hours, don't we? You ever do that and you're like 30 minutes later, like, what have I been doing? If that's your pattern, if that's your habit, if you're spending all these hours on trifling TV or mindlessly scrolling, you begin to see the answer for why you're not becoming. You are becoming something, <laughs> whatever that media is shaping you to become, because again, you become what you behold. So if you're stuck and you're struggling spiritually, what are you beholding? The Spirit works as we behold Christ. If you would grow in Christ, behold him in these ways that we're speaking about this morning. Focus on Christ. Occupy yourself with Christ. This is the path to freedom, the path to growth. This is the promise of the text, that if you will gaze upon him. In fact, I, I was reading a little bit of uh, Schaefer is his last name. I just forgot his first name. But he talked about the song, Take Time to Be Holy. We know that song, right? Take time to be holy. He said, sometimes when we sing that, we should replace it with, instead of take time to be holy, take time to behold. Take time to behold. As you do that, as you take time to behold and you fix your gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he will change you from the inside out. Or sometimes we sing that song, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. So Christian, resolve. Resolve deep within your heart to focus on him, no matter your life situation. And then number five, as we seek to practice this beholding, if we're serious about growing and being more like Christ, number five, Behold his glory in fellowship. I've been saying it this way lately. Uh, church is Jesus with skin on. Because sometimes we, if, if you have children, and maybe you have a child or, or did have a child growing up or a, a grandchild that struggles with this, at night they're fearful and they're, they're afraid. And you go and you try and calm them and soothe them and do all that you can to try and encourage them not to be afraid. And you point them to Jesus, how he's with you and he comforts you and he's your shepherd and we have nothing to fear with, with, with him, right? And it seems to go well. You even pray with your child and then you go back down to bed and 10 minutes later your child is what? Fearful again, afraid again, crying again. And so you go and you, you speak with your child again and uh, ask your child, what's, what's going on? Well, we, just, we just talked about Jesus and all these wonderful things, and the little girl says, or the little boy says, that's great, that's wonderful, but I want Jesus with skin on. I need Jesus with skin. I need, I need to feel his presence, to see him, the warmth of his presence and his power. That's the importance of Christian fellowship. If you want to know what Jesus is like, you should be able to walk into a church fellowship and see him in the way we interact. See him in the words that we use. See him in the way that we're patient and forgiving and speak wisdom and, and, and all those facets 
Uh, Anthony Hokema says this well in his book, Creating in God's Image. Believers learn what Christ-likeness is in part by observing it in fellow Christians. We see the love of Christ reflected in the lives of our fellow believers. We are enriched by Christ through our contact with them. We hear Christ speaking to us through them. Believers are inspired by the examples of their fellow Christians, sustained by their prayers, corrected by their loving admonitions, and encouraged by their support. So you see, as we behold his glory, we begin to reflect it to others. And then we help others behold his glory in us. And that encourages them. Fellowship, again, is Jesus with skin on. And let, let me apply this just a different way for a second. Have you ever, and if you're being honest, the answer to this is yes. <laughs> Have you ever been annoyed or impatient uh, with your spouse or your children or your brother and sister in Christ because they keep struggling with a sin? That ever happened to you? Every one of us, right? We kind of get annoyed. We kind of get bothered with, with each other. And, and what seems to be their slow growth, or they're still struggling with this, and we keep talking about this and working through this, and it's still there. It's still an issue. But, but looking at our text, and we're applying this to fellowship, right? Looking at our text, again, it says, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. When you're tempted to be impatient with each other, like I said before, the difference between 15 degrees and 16, man, that's nearly imperceptible. But it's change. It's growth. And so, this text in our fellowship with each other should help us be patient with each other. Right? It should help us uh, to have patience that hangs in there with people. It doesn't complain about people or grumble about people, but is patient with people. We're, we're not excusing their sin, but we're trusting God to do the changing and the growing in their life. It's the kind of patience that says to one another, you're a mess and I'm a mess. <laughs> Let's look to Christ together. Let's focus on him. Let's behold him and together grow in Christ-likeness. Let's not give up on each other. Let's focus on Christ, not grumble and complain, but help each other to grow. Right? That's a fair application of our text, yes? If we, if we grow by beholding the fellowship with others, let's be patient with that growth in one another. And let's make sure in our fellowship that we're helping one another behold him. Let's make sure when we come here, we're not making it about us and people thinking much about us. But let's use our words, our actions, to help others behold him and focus on him. So what's the biggest need in your life? What's the, what's the fastest track to spiritual growth? Again, it's this. You become what you behold. What are you beholding? Are you beholding the glory of Christ? Are you reflecting his glory and his image? Our main problem, I believe, is we do not behold his glory enough. We're not amazed. We don't stand in awe. May God be pleased to work a great work in this church body, in my heart and in your hearts, to behold his glory, to settle for nothing less, to be able to cry out with Moses, Oh God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Amen.